Welcome to the Black Moss Leaders Lounge, our podcast focused on the challenges facing leaders in the asset management industry. I'm Larry Black, the managing partner at Black Moss. Today's episode, we focus on how leadership has to adapt to the disruptions of the COVID crisis, of course, but also to other challenges, like managing through an acquisition by a competitor or finding a way to get the resources you need when you lead a startup within a much larger established business. Our guest today has insight into all these challenges. Ron Bundy built the Russell Indexes and led that business through the most important merger in the equity index space. Weeks before the onset of the pandemic last year, he was hired to transform Morningstar's small index business, essentially a startup within the larger investment and the ratings firm into a disruptor in the industry. I think you'll enjoy our conversation. Ron is a leader who is a consummate people person who believes in something he calls the speed of trust. Hello and welcome everyone to the Leaders Lounge. We're delighted to have as our guest today, Ron Bundy, one of the pioneers of the index and ETF industry. Ron built the index business at Russell Investments and oversaw the integration of the Russell indexes into what is now FTSE Russell, one of the big three index providers. And now Ron heads the index business at Morningstar. Welcome, Ron. Thank you very much, Larry. I appreciate you having me on. I should probably make a disclaimer here before we get too much further. Ron and I worked together not so long ago at the London Stock Exchange Group. We met during the acquisition of Russell by Elseg back in, I think it was 2014, and the subsequent integration of the Russell indexes with FTSE. He is the head of the acquired business and me as the CMO of the acquirer. I think it's fair to say it was a bit of a difficult merger (laughs) with plenty of culture clash, uh, which we may or may not get into later in our conversation about leadership challenges. At any rate, it's very nice to speak again, Ron. Thank you, Larry. As I mentioned in my introduction, Ron's been at the center of the extraordinary growth in the industry over the past two decades. For asset managers and asset owners, the Russell indexes remain synonymous with institutional quality benchmarks. And now with Ron leading the business at Morningstar, they're clearly positioning themselves as the disruptors in this space. We'll get into all of this in a minute, but first, Ron, where does this find you? One of my recollections of working with you is you're always about to get on a plane to somewhere. Well, that's true, Larry. You know, travel has been a part of my job for the last 20 years in this industry. Today, I'm in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We are having a leadership offsite with our CEO, Kanal Kapoor. It's our first time that we've gotten together outside of Chicago, where everyone's actually traveled someplace, first time in about two years. So it's been really good so far. Let's just spend a second on location, actually. Is location a challenge in managing a new business, building a new team? So I was fortunate... When I first started at Morningstar, I started in December of 2019. And so I was in the offices in Chicago for about three months before COVID hit. And I remember telling my wife, Tracy, I said, okay, we're going to have to lock down. Do you want to lock down here or back home in Seattle? And I told her, I said, this could be a couple weeks <laughs> as we flatten the curve. So I had an opportunity to really meet a lot of people and have a lot of interaction with Morningstar, you know, people very early in my tenure here, but it, it, location is a challenge. It's not so much a challenge for me. I have a home in Seattle and a place in Chicago, but for the broader team, 
it's really hard to build culture, maintain a company culture and get the nuances of a conversation when you're not in the same room with somebody, uh, at least part of the time. That is definitely a focus, you know, area. Yeah, it'd be good to get into sort of some of the dynamics of working during COVID. Just before we move on, has location been a challenge to your career in the past? I, I know having been with Russell, it was fine, but obviously being in London and New York yeah. and Morningstar in Chicago, uh, has it been an issue? Location's always been a bit of a challenge for me, and that's why I have a status on three different airlines. But because in Seattle, where Russell's traditional headquarters are, we don't have a lot of clients there. I have to go to New York, to London, to Chicago to see clients, and that's always been a big part of my role, even as CEO of Russell Indexes. The client interaction is, is critical to, to our success. So it always has been a bit of a challenge, but you kind of get used to it. It gets in your blood a little bit. It was particularly challenging with LSEG, uh, as you mentioned, because then you have international travel just to get to even some of the more important internal meetings. And I enjoy travel, but there's a limit to that. And sometimes I kind of stretch that limit for sure. That's a nice segue into talking about management style, leadership style. Just a minute ago, you said when you were at Xerox, you learned the difference between being a manager and being a leader. Can you talk about that and how you describe your leadership style? I had the opportunity very early in my career to manage a sales team at Xerox. And it was an environment where people just knew you were gonna make mistakes and there was a support network around you to continue for you to grow and learn. And yeah, I really benefited from that and I always appreciate that time there. For me, one of the early things I learned is the difference between being a manager, being a leader, you know, being a manager, you get to tell people what to do. Being a leader, you get to show them how to do it and why it's important. People do things for their manager because they have to. People do things for a strong leader because they want to. And leaders show people how to learn and, and grow and get better by example versus just dictating the next task at hand. So those early leadership lessons for me were really important and have served me really well in my entire career. Yeah, in preparing to talk, and obviously from our experience together, when we were working together, so many people describe you, they keep coming back to this idea of you being a consensus builder. Yeah. Um, why is that so important to you? It's foundational, really, in how I interact with people. If I'm in a room and we're all having a conversation and you didn't know anybody in the room, I think it'd be really tough to, to know who's the boss in that room. So I found, at least for me, and there's lots of different ways that leaders can be successful, right? So I'll just share with you my approach. From very early on, I always treat people with trust and respect. And part of building trust is also being transparent and listening to people's ideas and taking on their ideas and letting them fail, right? Giving them some guidance and some feedback and then be there when things don't work out. And sometimes you just know it's not going to work, but you let them fail. And then you're there to help them pivot and go to the next thing. And those are really valuable learning experiences. And I've always found that, at least for me, the most critical thing that's led to my success in business is my relationship with people and with my teams. And every team I've been a part of, trust and respect are cornerstones of how we interact together. And you can be successful other ways. That's just how I choose to do it. 
but it's served me well. Is there a danger in trust? Is there danger in trusting too early or trusting the wrong yeah, people? There is. And trust, to oversimplify it, you either give trust right out of the gate and expect trust back, or you make people earn trust. And sometimes that can take a long time. I give trust right out of the gate because, and, and I would say, Larry, probably 95% of the time, that's the right approach. But sometimes people will take advantage of that. They will use it in a way that benefits them more than benefits the team. And I've had a couple experiences where that trust has been shattered. And so for me, I give trust early. If you lose my trust, it's impossible to get it back because I do give it early. And But I will say that when you're working with somebody new and a new team and here at Morningstar is a good example. When I came in and have that mantra of trust and respect, there's a speed of trust, right? Things move so much more quickly when you're not second guessing somebody's motives, when you don't have to wait and see, well, did Ron really say it was okay to do this? So there's a speed of trust. I find by giving trust early, it accelerates all of the things that we want to do in our business and it helps us with our clients as well. That's interesting, that concept of speed of trust. Just to take the flip side of that, again, people have said you're collaborative to a fault. And I guess the question is, does that, that emphasis on consensus and collaboration, does it slow you down? You hear one of the buzzwords of management and leadership these days is agility. Have you, have you found that taking the time to build that consensus has stopped you from achieving something you'd hope to? No, if you spend all your time trying to get everybody to agree, then that will slow you down. But for me, that's not really consensus. I build consensus at the very top level of the goals that we want to achieve as a business. My teams have always been very aligned with what we want to achieve. And then I just let them go do it. Every single person that works for me right now, there's legacy Morningstar people, there's some legacy Russell people and some new people that we brought in as well. But every single person that works for me in this business is better at what they do than I would be if I was doing their job. And so we build consensus at the top and we can get to that very quickly. But then it comes to execution, that team is fully empowered to make decisions and, and make those things happen. And that is the speed of trust, right? So you have an empowered team and they're directing the activities because they're closer to the business than I am. And things actually move much more quickly that way, building consensus early on the big initiatives and the big goals and empowering the team to execute. Interesting. I'm going to come back to the, the importance of social bonding as an extension yeah. of that. But first of all, how important is purpose and mission? Obviously, another really important theme these days. How important is having a, a vision to inspiring people? Yeah, well, it seems that's, that's, obvious, but it'd be interesting to hear yeah. your take on it. It's a great question because there's businesses that are successful that don't have a purpose or a mission, right? There's other things to that. So purpose and mission alone won't make you successful, but they can certainly make you more successful and than you would otherwise be. One of the big reasons I came to Morningstar, I had a lot of conversations with Knoll and others across the, the leadership team. Morningstar is a very mission-driven organization. Russell was a very mission-driven organization. And Morningstar, our mission is empowering investor success. 
And that's not just a tagline, that's embedded in every single thing that we do. Our strategy in the index business is investor first. Everything that we're doing is to benefit investors at some level. And so for me, it's the North Star, if you will. And it, it, it makes, earlier you said, this consensus slow you down. And it can, if you, if you do it right, I think it accelerates things. But having that guiding star makes decision-making so much easier because you're always thinking about what's best for the investor. Yeah. So that was one of the key reasons I came to Morningstar because I wanted to work for a company that was mission-driven. Another feature of your leadership is social bonding. Your teams tend to have a good time and have fun. And that clearly is a deliberate piece of your leadership. Can you talk about yeah. the kind of cohesion that comes out of that and the operating model that comes out of that? Yeah, absolutely. So trust and respect are foundational, but also it's really important to have great chemistry on a team because that even strengthens those things more. Mission drives us as a unifier for culture and setting objectives, but then also moving at the speed of trust and trusting people to make the right decisions and then supporting them, acknowledging them when they do a really good job, supporting them when they make a mistake is critical, but also working with people that you want to work with. And Larry, in your career, I know you've seen this where you go into a meeting there's one person in that meeting and, and they bring everybody down, their approach and their negativity. They might be super smart. They may have had a really successful career, but if you walk away from a conversation feeling worse than when you came into it, that doesn't build strong teams. You want people to challenge you. You want people to take the opposite side, and that's the power of diversity. Diversity is a team's biggest superpower. So you want those diverse thoughts and people to challenge you, but in a constructive way. You're right. I've always focused on the chemistry of the team. I don't expect people to treat me like a boss. I don't treat anybody like an employee. We're all working together to grow our business to support our clients. And that's how I've been successful. Other people do it other ways and they can also be successful taking a different approach. Let's just pivot a little back to the managing during COVID. We talked a little bit about you joining the Morningstar two or three months before the COVID lockdown. As we just discussed, you really are very much a people person. And how was that to manage remotely people who you may or may not know that well? It's a challenge. So I think the culture and your interpersonal relationships are actually relatively, you can manage that for a period of time, even an extended period of time over Zoom, once you've established those norms and how you work together. And once you know people, like this conversation today that we're having over Zoom, it's very natural to me because you and I know each other and we've worked together and, and had a lot of success together. The challenge comes when you want, when you bring new people in and assimilating new people into the culture and building loyalty for the firm to the associate and the associate to the firm. It's really hard to do that over a Zoom call. So we look for ways to do those things outside of even in these difficult times. And we are starting to get back into the office now. I'm asking all my team, I want people to be in the office when it's safe and when it's appropriate, two to three days a week to have that interconnection, that bonding. But that's also where the spark of innovation comes from. It's not necessarily over a planned Zoom call. Somebody has an idea and they walk over to somebody's desk. And one of the favorite things I see in the office is when there's three or four people all huddled around one terminal 
because they're trying to solve a problem. They're working on something innovative and creating a new product. Uh, sometimes that happens very spontaneously. And that's a really important element of business. I think we have to find a way to, to, to do that and, and maintain you know, those uh, interactions going forward. It just makes me think about the relationships with customers and, and partners externally during COVID. How many new customers have you been able to talk to and been able to onboard through all of this crisis? And has this been a, a challenge as well? It is a challenge. One of the things that I've relied on in my career is my relationship with my clients. And it's really hard to establish a new relationship over Zoom. It can be done, but there's a rule of three that I always use. And that third conversation that you have with the client is the one where you really start to build familiarity and trust. And you can do that over Zoom, but then it's not three meetings, it's seven. And, and so it is more difficult to establish new relationships with clients in this environment. But clients are also getting used to doing it and people are letting their guard down a little bit more. Zoom or Teams or whatever video system you're using, people are becoming much more comfortable with it. And so they're starting to react in a more normal way, it feels like to me where in the very early days, it was all foreign. Did not, didn't, didn't seem that natural to be talking to everybody on a Zoom call every day. But now it's getting much easier. People are, are starting to be themselves a little bit more because they, they become accustomed to communicating that way. While we're still on, on COVID, you mentioned diversity being important to your business. And hopefully we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about ESG more generally, what impact broadly has all the social movements that arose or at least became evident during the COVID crisis affected the way you run your business? It's a great question. It's been highlighted significantly over the last 18 months is the importance of diversity and building diverse teams. But it's not just getting the right people on the team, diversity, racial diversity, gender diversity, those are just clues to real diversity, which is getting people together that think differently than you do, that have different experiences that you do, that try to solve problems in a different way that you would. If everybody was trying to solve the same problem the same way that I was thinking about it, we're not going to have those rich experiences entered into the conversation to help us find better outcomes for our business and better outcomes for our clients. And so diversity really is having people that are racial diversity and gender diversity is very important because those are the clues that we have different experiences and different ways of approaching things in our business. But at the end of the day, it's really making sure that it's not just hitting those metrics on diversity, but it's also being very inclusive in our conversations and having pay equity so that people on your team feel like there's equality across team members for doing the same job. We have the way that we interview people now, we have a very structured interview process where we're asking the same questions to all the candidates for a particular job so that our biases are less pronounced in how we handle those conversations. And so there's a lot that we can do and it's making us better. It really is because you have to think about things in, in a little bit different way. And the more diverse we are in our thoughts and approach, better outcomes we deliver for our clients and for our business. Very good. Good. Let me jump to briefly to challenges of being a leader 
and one that seems that's been specific, I think, in, in terms of your experience is really about how you manage when you have a change of ownership yeah. at a company. I'm thinking quite specifically about from being the CEO of Russell Indexes and then going into LSEG, FTSE Russell, and your various roles there. How do you think about managing through a difficult merger, both in terms of how you are able to retain influence when you are a leader who's, you know, who's got a team and you've been acquired. And then the second thing, sorry, this is a lot all in one question. How do you end up supporting your people through difficult times when inevitably a merger is going to be a difficult time? Well, it's really all about managing through change. Change of any form makes most people a little bit uncomfortable. When you're in a very familiar environment and you go into an unfamiliar environment, that might end up being better. You don't know at the time, but that change does present itself and not everybody embraces change in the same way. I'm going to answer the first part of the question, the second part of the question, which is bringing people along on that journey first, because I think that's the most important part. We talked about diversity and part of diversity is being accepting of new ideas and different ways of doing things. When you've been acquired by another firm, for sure that's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of things where they don't exactly line up with how we used to do things or how we like to do things, but having that flexibility, that openness to change and doing things different ways, and that inclusivity of bringing other people in to the tent to help solve problems, I think that really is helpful. But sometimes it just doesn't work. You mentioned before, there was a big cultural difference between different elements of LSEG and, and FTSE when we merged the FTSE and Russell businesses together. And that was hard on a lot of our people. And I think the reason why is the, the way that people are used to interacting with my team, you know, trust and high degree of trust and respect. And that means being empowered, having a vision and everybody in, in alignment with that. That all gets, everything changes when you come together, how I handled that coming in and sometimes successfully and sometimes not as successfully. I looked at my role in FTSE Russell as really helping as many of our people make the transition to the new environment, helping as many of our clients make the transition to the new environment as we could. So that was my number one priority. And I did that for the four years that I was there. But there are inevitably going to be differences in management style. And sometimes those are really hard to reconcile. Where I build consensus, collaboration, there's others, the people that I went to work with and work for, there's very much command and control. All the decisions were made by one person. So being flexible and being inclusive and all those things are really helpful. But at the end of the day, there'll just be times when the two cultures just don't line up. One's not better than the other. They're just different. And so people have to figure out what that means for them in their career path. That was really interesting, actually, <laughs> having, <laughs> having gone through it myself as well. Interesting time. Yeah. I do want to talk a little bit about your decision when you, you decided to leave LSEG and spent some time thinking about what you wanted to do next or not work at all, presumably. Can you talk about, I don't know, a year in the wilderness is always a terrible, <laughs> terrible metaphor, but your decision making about we're going to talk next about Morningstar, but why Morningstar without getting into the details? What was attractive about it? Did it feel like Russell in the early days? I'm curious to hear your thinking about why you decided to into Morningstar. When I left FTSE Russell, LSEG, I took a year off. I've been in this industry for a long time. 
I did have some flexibility. There's a couple different paths I could have taken. Go back to work uh, full time for big index firm. I could go to work full time for a small index firm. I could maybe do some consulting or sit on a few boards and kind of really downshift in, in a significant way. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had the flexibility to take a year off and really think about that. And it was a really important period in my life because, as you mentioned earlier, I've been a road warrior for the last 20 years. And at one point, I had top status on three different airlines, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Nobody should do that. <laughs> so when I took a year off, my wife, Tracy, and I, we didn't really do a big round-the-world cruise or do a lot of global travel. We really spent that year reconnecting with friends and family. And it was really helped me get recentered on what's important to me in my life. And so I, you know, I reestablished relationships with my kids that had fallen off to the wayside as I was spending so much time traveling. And Tracy and I learned that we like spending more time together as well. And so that was a good part of it. We went all over reconnecting with our friends that we hadn't spent as much time with as we wanted to over the years. And that was a really important part of it. So when it came time to go back to decide what I wanted to do, going back to work for one of the really big index providers was certainly an option I felt like at that time. But then I'm back into the same lack of work-life balance I had before. I also didn't really feel like I was quite ready to downshift and just sit on a couple boards. There's more I wanted to do. And so I started looking at Morningstar and I always felt like even when I was at Russell and FTSE Russell, that Morningstar's index business was underrepresented in the market. And they have so many capabilities as a firm, if we could just bring all that together, they could really be a positive impact on the indexing community. And I started talking to Kunal Kapoor and really discovered Morningstar is very much a mission-driven organization. Empowering investor success is real at Morningstar. And it was a small enough business, Kunal was willing to give me the flexibility that I wanted in my schedule where I felt like I could maintain a large element of that balance that I had gotten back in my life, having that year off, maintain those relationships with my family and with our friends, but also do it in a way that allows me to participate 100% on this index team. It became very clear that this was the right move for me, and it's been great. I've not second-guessed that decision, not one day. So it begs the question, why is Morningstar the right platform for your business aspirations as well as your personal. Why is Morningstar investing so heavily in the index business? We are investing very heavily in this business. I think everybody at Morningstar sees that there's so much more we can do for investors with this index business. The way I look at this is I, I really feel like I'm part of a really well-funded startup, right? And if, if you look at where the index industry is going, the cap-weighted core beta products and that space, you know, that ground's been covered. It's really difficult to go in and, and try to, you know, displace one of those incumbents as a policy benchmark in that space. And so that's not where we're going to focus. We're focusing on where the index industry is going. Right now, we're likely the fastest index company globally fastest growing index company globally. We don't disclose our financials directly for the index business, but I'd be surprised if anybody's growing faster than us right now. I'm going to use an overused sports analogy. I think this gets attributed to Wayne Gretzky. Gretzky said, I skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck is at. Where the puck is at today is cap-weighted, some smart beta, 
those types of products where the puck is going is ESG, private equity, multi-asset thematics. And Morningstar has an amazing story to tell in all of those categories. And so we have some really tremendous IP that we're bringing to market in an index wrapper that we think is going to be great for investors. And we're doing it in, in a couple of different ways. Our value prop is first and foremost, we want to be advocates for investors. That means that beta should be inexpensive and it should be available. And it's not today. If you look at the incumbents and the, and the, and the prices that they continue to, to, to raise and, and charge clients for beta, there's a disconnect there between what clients want and what the index providers want. But at the end of the day, we want to leave more money in the pockets of investors. And we do that by providing beta at an extreme value to clients. And we provide better outcomes by bringing new uh, IP and an index wrapper that's also really good for investor portfolios. So we do it in two ways, through pricing of beta and delivering better outcomes for clients in those core areas where we see growth. So far, it's been really paying off for us and for our clients. I've noticed the open index project, which is essentially about getting your, you know, your indexes out there and in circulation without charging for them, right? So the open index philosophy, which is making those core beta products very accessible to investors. There is an element of that. We'll give it no charge, but most clients want a level of service. And clients aren't looking for something necessarily for free. They're just looking for better value than they're getting today yeah, yeah, from, no question. from their index providers. And that's what we're providing. We want to provide a full service index capability that delivers uh, world-class index solutions to clients at exceptional value. And that's how we're being extremely disruptive in this space. The other side of this, I think I've heard you use the phrase about unleashing the power of Morningstar. My understanding of that is obviously a pretty impressive active equity analyst, Salesforce, as well as the acquisitions, Sustainalytics and Morgate, the PitchBook as well. Can you talk a little bit about where those synergies lie for the index business? Absolutely. I was joking. We had brought all of our leaders in, mostly from the U.S. It's hard for international leaders to come in, but we bring all the managers together once a year. And the way I describe our business to our clients is we have a 9,000 person index business. Our index business is actually quite small compared to some of the larger players. But when you take a look at all of the capabilities across Morningstar, then we have one of the biggest footprints in the index industry. So we have 117 analysts, equity analysts, helping us with thematics and ESG and taking investment concepts and putting those into an index wrapper for our clients. We have the leading private equity data source globally in PitchBook and one of the top two leading ESG franchises globally in Sustainalytics. The other superpower that we have, other index providers don't have in a significant way, is our relationship with the wealth segment. Morningstar is very well entrenched with advisors and individual investors. And so we have a great relationship with the wealth segment. And that's an area that's becoming increasingly important in the index space, where most index providers traditionally have focused on institutional clients. Wealth is a much faster growing segment of the market right now. When you take all those capabilities and you bring them together, that's what I call unleashing the power of Morningstar. So it's not just any one of those things that are going to help us be successful and help our clients be successful. It's the combination of all of those things together. And it's been really fun to figure out how to 
leverage and bring all these tremendous capabilities that we have as a firm into an index wrapper to benefit our clients. Can we talk a little bit about the culture of Morningstar in relation to all this? Again, you were a relatively small startup, if you will, within you're a, a newish division of a much bigger company. How do you go about getting resources and attention for your projects? Obviously, there's been the upfront investment, but all of us know that there's a huge number of demands on shared internal resources, etc. I've also heard that you've got a charm offensive going and talk about <laughs> friends of indexing internally. Talk about how you do that. That, to me, is a huge challenge for a leader of a business. It's one of the biggest challenges is competing for resources across multiple businesses. I'll bring you in on some of my industry secrets or some of my secrets to success, if you will, as it relates to this. One of the reasons I knew I made the right decision to come to Morningstar is how well I assimilated with the other managers. It's a really good group of people. They all want to do the right thing for Morningstar and for our clients, but there are always the element of wanting to also do the right thing for your own business unit. And so it is a bit of a charm offensive that we have. And I talked about this to our entire global leadership team. I walked through this approach with them week before last. And what it really is, it's about unleashing the power of Morningstar, looking across the firm, understanding what capabilities are out there that we can leverage but the important thing is you can't just go out and demand resources from those other business. They need to want to help you. And so we talk about bringing resources in, unleashing the power of Morningstar. But part of that is also what can we do for the other businesses? What services can we provide? How can we help them with their clients? So it's very collaborative. It goes both ways. I know from my 30 years in business that People do business with people that they like, and that is our foundation across Morningstar is we want to make friends. We want to help them be more successful, and we don't want our success to come at the expense of anybody else. That's clear to everybody. What makes it easier at Morningstar is it's already a really solid management team and people are well-intended and the culture is such that they want everybody to be successful. So it's not as difficult as it might be in another environment to do that here, but it's a lot of work. There's a big investment in the relationships that we have with all of the other business units and the other internal functions because we're needy. We're growing really fast. We're asking for a lot of resources and you have to do it in a way where people want to help you. It is a charm offensive. We're our job is to, in a very healthy and productive way, develop those relationships so we can leverage all the great capabilities across Morningstar. Well, we can just close talking a little bit about the future of the industry. What you see, and I know this could be a whole podcast in itself, but really what the big trends are, like where the industry is going. Now, I also would like to talk a little bit about some of the threats to the industry, both from within financial services. And this is essentially a technology business, right? With a lot of human interaction on top of it, some regulation, et cetera. But is there a threat from the big technology companies going forward? Sorry, I know, again, I'm packing a yeah. lot of questions into a single. So there have been over the years kind of whispers of big tech firms coming into the index space. But it's really difficult unless you really know the ecosystem. It's not just about being able to 
calculate and disseminate market indexes. There's so much more that goes into it, index adoption and use cases and how clients get the data, all of those things. So I don't think that's where the disruption necessarily is going to come from. I think the disruption is going to come from smaller players like Morningstar that really understand this business and this ecosystem and how to help clients be successful with what they're trying to do on the indexing side. I think that's where the disruption will come from. But it'll also come from outside the regulation. Right now in the U.S., there's not a lot of regulation in the index space, but you're seeing that a lot more in Europe. I think you'll see regulation creep in that will raise the costs for, for participants, especially in ESG. You're seeing that for sure across Europe. There is an element there of outside influences coming in as well. Yeah. One final question is really around the opportunity. Is it in customization and personalization of indexes? Is it direct indexing, robo, where digital asset? A lot of questions wrapped into one, but where's the industry going? It, it's, it's definitely going customization and personalization. Those things are separate and distinct. So we just made an acquisition of Morgate benchmarks in Europe. And the whole reason for that acquisition, A, it's a great team, really solid index people that know this business. We want to expand our footprint in Europe. But what Morgate brings is the ability to increase our bandwidth on customized indexes significantly. Almost all clients are looking for some level of optimization in their indexes. So the ability to do that and do it at speed and at scale is really important. And that's what Morgate brings to us. But then you start to look at personalization, which is a little bit different. And when you're working with an ETF issuer or a mutual fund provider, they want a customized index that they can build a product on and bring a lot of clients into that customized index. Personalization then takes it down to the individual level where you may have an investor that has very strong ESG views, either on climate or impact or some other area, and they want a solution tailored to their, their specific views. And that's where direct indexing gets really exciting is the ability to really personalize the index experience in a way that allows for more efficient tax loss harvesting bring smaller investors into the ecosystem through fractional share trading, and then allow them to have their own personalized views as part of that portfolio. So that's really exciting. And the index provider does the customization and then takes it to the implementers, to the RIAs, to the wealth segment. And then for the most part, the asset managers, the RAs will take it the last mile to really personalize that for their clients. And we're doing a lot in that space. We're on multiple platforms with our indexes supporting the wealth segment for direct indexing. And I think that's going to be a mega trend going forward. Absolutely. And obviously with Morningstar's presence in that wealth market, it's going to really help. Absolutely. I think we have to wrap it up. It looks like you have to head off. I just want to thank you. It's been a great conversation. I really appreciated you taking the time on this one. It was good. Larry, thanks for reaching out. I really enjoyed the time we spent today. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Well, yeah. safe travels. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Leaders Lounge podcast. For more insights from industry leaders about overcoming challenges and realizing success in times of change and uncertainty, please go to blackmosspartners.com.